So a very, very good day to everybody. It is the 20th of April up here in the mountains. The grey sky has come back, uh, which is a shame because we've had a nice uh, sunny day yesterday. It's not cold. It's not what you'd call very hot, but it's uh, certainly it's manageable. Let's go down to the frozen wastes and find out how Eric is down in Albia. So, Eric, how are you today? And what's your weather like? Uh, very well. And the weather's a bit similar to what you just said yourself. It's a bit cloudy. Sun's just breaking through at the moment, but uh, it looks like it's going to be a cloudy day. But we can put up with that. OK, well, uh, we start with a picture that I'm looking at which is entitled The Table of Greed. And uh, they are the people that the world of football is waiting impatiently to hear from. They are the men who have sat in silence while the game react, uh, reacts in horror at their plans to uh, upend the competitive spirit of the sport as we've always known it. It seems remarkable that for all the sneaky, covert talks that have taken place to lead football onto the brink of a precipice, Liverpool owner John Henry and Arsenal chief Ivan Gazidis met with Manchester United executive vice chairman Ed Woodward and club owning Glazer Brothers. Um, this was at one of New York's most popular restaurants in broad daylight in October 2017. Now alongside Juventus chief Andrea Agnetti, or Agnelli is it, and Real Madrid president Florentino Perez, they've plunged the game into turmoil. Well, that's the, that's the report from the paper. You and I looked at this about six weeks ago. I remember you saying, well, I hope it doesn't happen. If we go to that picture, then obviously there would have been a starting point. Whether that was the one, we'll never know. But um, the amount of people who were absolutely horrified by what's going on uh, shows you quite clearly that this is an absolute stitch-up and a disgrace, um, but it's in line with everything that we're living through. It's almost like nothing matters anymore. And... My guess is this is a part of a jigsaw puzzle of which everybody knows. And if you remember, I've been saying this consistently, but uh, not every, everybody's been saying that football is being used. And I suspected for a long time that something was going on. Uh, I didn't expect this, by the way, but I knew that we were being used um, your comments then on what you've heard so far and how you feel. Well, it's uh, it's the whole situation which we have mentioned on many occasions about uh, being people being greedy. I mean, how much more money do they want? The problem is, I think they're trying to pull back money which has been lost through the pandemic. You know, they've lost a lot of money and they've not spoke about it, but now they're trying to get the money back because they're greedy people. I mean, we've already heard before, ages ago, that they could survive without supporters. This seems to be a perfect case because they couldn't have done anything more to alienate supporters than to start up their own little league, which is absolutely unbelievable. Well, people like myself and you, Vince, we, you've got your club and we've all put our nail our colours to the mast because they're our club and we can't just stick through and through thick and thin. But something like this is unbelievable because of the fact that new owners have come into these clubs now and they haven't, they just don't seem to understand what's gone on, how many years has gone on. I mean, you don't even appreciate teams like, as I've said it many times, Accrington Stanley. Without Accrington Stanley, there'd be no Manchester United, Manchester City. All these clubs started the, the league, not County, another club, oh, they're all down at the bottom of the league and nobody cares about them and this is a perfect example where people come in to the country take over clubs because they see it as a big investment and this now is another part of the investment where they can make more money than they already have been making but what the problem is all them little clubs at the bottom they're the ones who suffer and it, it's just not right i mean it can't be right but i don't know how we can get out of it being truthful I, i'm just hoping that this is just a little bit of a bluff 
to UA, to UEFA because they're bringing out plans to make the Champions League more clubs in the Champions League. I'm just hoping it's a bluff to call their bluff and say that, look, we're not going to have that. We're going to start our own league and that'll make UEFA cut back and go stay, keep the Champions League as it is. Although I'm not, you know, I'm not a fan of Champions League anyway. So for me personally, it won't worry me. But it's just all the small clubs that I worry about. Yeah. OK, well, look, um, the, the thing for me is uh, that um, once the fans went, the game started to change. You and I and so many others have identified this um, because basically the fans are more than just people that turn up to watch the game. They are uh, intrinsically part of the game. The way they shout, the way they react to situations, the things that maybe uh, people think have been maybe not quite as good as they should be, which, of course, I mean, shouting abuse at the players, um, that now is appearing in a written form, in the form of people trolling and doing things which, unfortunately, they will always happen in a society. I don't care what anybody tries to tell me. You cannot legislate for the difference in people. You're a Manchester City fan. I'm a Liverpool fan. But deep down beneath it, we're both football fans. And so when we see any black player who is vilified, everybody should now join together and say, look, we're not, we're not having this anymore. But if you think about it, while something like that's going on, you will hear shouts against white players, apparently insinuating that they've got no parents. And this is part of the banter. And I wonder how much you've just got to let things like that go over your head and go back to the old uh, adage, sticks and stones can break my bones, but names can never hurt me. So the worry for me is whether or not this is part of something bigger or is it just the biggest part of football? So that's my question now, because I don't think there's any clarity. It's certainly, um, you, you know, it's a conspiracy. And therefore, uh, we now know that these people have come out into the open and shown us that they've been meeting and they've been having clandestine talks. But at the end of the day, the difference is between money and the spirit of the game. Because there is something about football which you can't really put into uh, the likes of, say, um, you know, rounders, if you like. <laughs> you know, they, they call it baseball, but it's rounders, isn't it, as far as we're concerned. Mm. And the trouble with the Americans is they all think only in terms of money. Of course, money's important. But I did say many years ago, Eric, and I stick by what I said. The money they're paying people is immoral. To, pe to talk about paying Haaland a million pounds a week is absolute nonsense. To think about paying Messi 250,000 euros every time he, he, he goes home on a, on a Friday or a Saturday is immoral. So there's got to be a change and I don't think it's going to come out of this situation this is just a battle for who has the money that's all I can see okay so um, you take it on from there what do you think about my comments regarding the money and then the spirit of the game well you've always stuck by your principles uh, Vince over the years uh, about the money I mean I've always said it's the people who pay them that are to blame not the players who receive it uh, and those people who are paying them this money are the ones who are making this breakaway because they're all clubs with a lot of money behind them, you know, and they're the ones who's, who pay all these blinking big bills uh, to these players, I should say. So from that point of view, the most clubs who are breaking away are the biggest corporates who are paying big money, as, you, as you, we know, Manchester United, Man City, Chelsea, you know, they, all these clubs have got, have got the money and now they're trying to ex expand on it and make more money. But this might be the downfall of them all because I'm not going to say it'll happen, but let's presume that the Premier League kick them out. Where are they going to go then? What, what's going to happen to them, those clubs? What will happen to the money? What will happen to the players? 
then everything will have to be rethought, won't it? Because the clubs who will be left, say the 14 clubs left, are not the clubs with mega amounts of money. The clubs who, who carry on surviving. I'm not saying Everton's a club like that, because Everton are probably the of the ones that are left of the 14 would be one of the strongest, I would imagine. And uh, I just got the feeling that this could be the beginning of the end of all this big money, because hopefully, you know, the, these clubs will be cast aside and then what will happen and it's going to be very interesting to see what 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 today i think is a meeting of the 14 clubs to decide what they're going to do it's already been mooted to kick them out the six clubs well if they get kicked out where do they go from there you know what i mean exactly they will have to start their own league they will have to rethink it you know they'll have to rethink everything where's the money going to come in because the supporters won't go and watch them and without the supporters, which I don't know how many times you've said it, football is nothing without supporters. And we only have to look at it now, week in, week out. No crowd there. I mean, as it happens, television are trying to make the best of it by putting sounds on, like as if there is a crowd there. But it's so false, you know, and I, I get fed up of watching it. You know, we hear like a cheer and you know there's nobody there. It's like all, like when they do applause on a, a show on the television, when they all start clapping yep. and there's nobody there it's just to make it's like canned laughter bigger. isn't it and that's what they've been trying to do to football mm. it's exactly yeah, the same as know, canned laughter the problem is I, I've got yeah, I've, I've got well, as you, sorry Eric you, you carry on I, I interrupted you you carry no, on no go on no you go on okay it's canned it's laughter same things. go on <laughs> it's canned laughter and I go to a picture I'm looking at on Facebook this morning Eccles Town Reunion and there's a picture of Eric Malpas with one, two, three, four, five friends from Eccles Town. And so all these guys that grew up, watched the football and uh, enjoyed the football, enjoyed being young, etc. Um, you know, they are all enjoying the memories that come from that particular part of their lives. Now, um, the, the problem really is that um, doesn't matter how much the um, the Americans try to kid people, the culture that comes from the UK, and if you go back to the roots of football, it goes back so many years and has so many twists and turns uh, that eventually it got to the point where everybody knew um, that, yeah, of course there were some teams that have got more money than others, the problem seemed to start, Eric, when, and I think it was probably before, but when Manchester City were bought by the, um, the Arabs. Um, Manchester United, sorry, before that were bought by the uh, Americans. And I think that's where we started to get these problems. When people didn't get money from their own area to buy the football club. So when we talk about money being at the root of all evil, this is part of it. It's like when you look at these big corporations and, of course, you go into up here, Carrefour, Tesco in the UK, uh, these very, very big stores. They do look very, very good, but it's the difference between one of those and all the mar and par shops that we used to grow up with. Now. I think the analogy does tend to break down a bit when you see that the Mar and Par shops have been swallowed up by the developments of all the different areas, and so there's not that many Mar and Par shops uh, that still exist until you go to some really old, quaint towns and you see a different life. And I think it's a choice of what do we want out of our lives? Do we really want TV to be continually dictating to everybody what goes on? Because this, I think, is where we're at. Without TV, this couldn't happen. And so now, when you think about that, you think about different aspects of TV. You know, we can switch on every minute of the day at the moment virtually, and there's football available. Um, so uh, who can speak against it? Well, apparently Mourinho said that he didn't think it was a good idea and got fired. Jurgen Klopp has said that he doesn't think it's a good idea. So we'll wait now to see whether Jurgen Klopp gets the bullet. Because it's like everything that's going on. If you don't agree with things, you're wrong. You're the people that will go. It's like 
um, you know, not making trite comparisons, but they are comparisons. If somebody says this pandemic exists, whether you, I or anybody believes it, it exists. Okay, we do know it exists, by the way, but it's the way it's being handled, which is again, um, the football analogy comes back in because this is all about managing football. It's about, do we let the Americans who swan over every now and again and grace us with their prob pr presence, the Arabs who basically want every major event, it would seem, to be in their part of the world when they don't even understand probably some of the rules. Um, we don't want camel racing because it's pertinent to where they come from. Leave our football alone. I don't think we're going to get our way, though, do you? Well, since the Americans took over Sky Sports, the way they've been flooding the stations with, uh, you know, basketball and all these American sports, which nobody's bothered about. Well, there will be some, somebody somewhere who likes it, but from my point of view, you know, it's just a bit annoying, the fact that they're trying to put, like the wrestling, uh, you know, they're pushing that. And we just, originally, our Sky Sports started with, I think it was Rupert Murdoch, if I'm not mistaken, or one of those Australian chats. And they, what they did was start off by giving the football free if you remember, the first started by putting games on for nothing. Then you started to charge you to have the sports channel with the football on. And this has been a slow progress. Now, talking about the Americans again, they clocked this and went, oh, I think we'll have a bit of that Sky Sports and all that kind of stuff. We'll buy that and so we'll come and buy that. And now, as you just said, television, they're trying to force things onto us. It's the same with the normal media, with the news and everything, what comes on. There's so many big things in the world going on that they never even mention. And it's just one of them things whereby the media are controlling most of the people, which I think is what you were trying to say, you well, know, what they're trying to do. And the, the Americans have moved in on the sports scene in the last, well, last, say, 20 years and started to come over here, or oh, come over to England and sort things out and getting the, the big clubs like like Liverpool owned by Americans, Manchester United owned by Americans, we're owned by Arabs. I mean, we've got the Russian who's in charge of Chelsea. I'm talking about these six clubs now who've broke away. Arsenal's owned by Americans. Uh, Spurs, I'm not quite sure who owns Spurs, but I know everybody says it's uh, uh, Daniel Levy, but there's a bloke called, I think his name's Lewis, who has the most shares in Tottenham. And he's not even a football fan. He's just an investor and he owns a few clubs around the world, which is exactly what Manchester City have done. Well, not Manchester City, the Arabs. Uh, they've, they've, bought, they've got at least eight clubs in eight different countries, whereby it's a global thing. And this is what's happening with the Americans. They've got their place in America sorted out. But they'll be coming up with this no relegation because that's what they do in the... Uh, in football over in America, I say football, I'm talking uh, like the rugby one now, American football, you know, where there's nobody gets relegated at the end of the season. And that's what they're trying to bring into with this top six or whatever it will be, how many people do go into this, what they call the Super League. And uh, it's, it's all American influence. And I've just got the feeling that they're going to catch a cold because at the end of the day, if the supporters stick together, this will never happen. OK. Well, when we go and look at the uh, the money angle, I mean, this is about the money and uh, virtually the football side of it is, uh, is supposed to be following the money. But if you look first and foremost at um, the way all the clubs started getting taken over, um, then obviously it was never a level playing field anyway because certain clubs had the injection of money, they bought the better players and so therefore it became very unfair. If you go further back and a comment that you passed to me on one of our podcasts is that people never challenged where the money went when we had the turnstiles and people going into the grounds 
we weren't encouraged to think about, well, there's a lot of money gone through this turnstile. Um, and I think you uh, hinted at the fact that one or two chairmen have obviously done fairly well out of what had existed beforehand. So it always has been about the money, but it's just that we never really were encouraged to think about it like that. And, of course, with this um, blessed internet and everything, you know, it can be really good for some things, but it can be really bad for others because, obviously, now everybody is a, um, a an expert at virtually everything. I mean, it's almost as if our education has stood for nothing. It's only when, really, um, mm. you p push people and ask them a pointed question that they can't answer that you realise that they're not the experts that were led to believe are experts. You know, if, if somebody asks me a technical question about a car, I'd have to say, I'm sorry, I'm not an expert. Um, we'll have to talk to somebody who knows what they're doing. And st stacks of really competent um, mechanics online would know what I meant and listen to the answer of the person that was supposed to be the expert. You can't really do this with money, not to the same expertise because things aren't always right or wrong it's a question of what becomes fashionable and whether people will spend the money on what you're telling them is good um, similarly with football I think you know you can tell everybody um, these six clubs are the best in Britain Liverpool certainly aren't I mean you know I don't want to say that because I'm a Liverpool fan but this year we're not in the top six at the moment if we're lucky we might be in the top six but it looks suspiciously uh, and ominously as if we won't even appear in the top six this year so if that's the case where on earth does that leave everything now because if Liverpool are in there and Arsenal are below us and Spurs are below us are we really talking about the top six clubs I don't think we are well the problem is now with all these uh, all this going on it, it, and no crowds there it, it's just a matter of the fact that I've always said whoever wins the league, even if City do win the league, which he probably will do, uh, it's just not the same to have won a league with no crowds at the matches. You know, it's just been a kind of a false league. Same as it was last year with Liverpool winning it. And I said it last year when Liverpool won it, and I say it this year when Man City should win it. You know, it's just not right. No crowds there. But at the end of the day, it was football's been kept on for the people at the top, i.e the people, politicians, because if there'd be no football on the television, which you've mentioned before about how television is leading people's lives, you know, it would never have gone on the football if it hadn't for television. And they needed to keep people, making them stay indoors, which was part of the epidemic. You know, that was part of the trick to keep football going. And to me, football has been used by politicians this year and a lot of sport has as well to you know to keep it going to keep people happy that oh well i can watch my team tonight i've got to stay in but or be on the tally i can watch them and this is what's happened with the sport in general in the meantime like you said top six i mean the six clubs in well don't forget self-acclaimed top super six that's what they call themselves isn't it then they've done it they're not certainly not Super Six this year. Leicester City should be in there because they've not been out of the top four all season, you know. And these other teams who are West Ham, there's another team. They they they've not been they've been right up there with the top teams this year, far more than Liverpool have been. And the other clubs who, who Aston Villa, Tottenham, as you've said, and, yeah, and Aston Villa would well, be another one, wouldn't it? a bit away now, but yeah, they've dropped a bit away Villa lately. But by the same rule, these teams at the top. To say we're better than the rest is wrong, and that is where they've made a big mistake, because everybody will shoot them down now. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, Gary Neville. I'm not a Gary Neville fan, but last night he had him saying, "Oh, come on, Villa, come on, Leeds." You know, he's trying to make a, a make a thing if you've got to beat the top six, these so-called top six teams. You know, I mean, I wouldn't like to break it up like that because every team has true supporters, and a lot of supporters. You don't if you're one of the top six clubs, as we are, the pair of us, it still never change your affinity with that club, will it? You know, I don't care what anybody said. And a lot of people's been coming on the radio talking, oh, I'm never going again, watch them again. I've seen that happen so many times where people in the past, and I'm going back many years now, where they said, oh, 
they've signed him, I'm not having that, I'm not watching them again. <laughs> and these are things what people say that about another three or four years later, they finish up going watching them, which I don't think will happen in this case because I'm pretty sure that all the football fans in England will boycott these particular six clubs and it'll be to their detriment. But I think before then, they'll all change their mind and I think they'll come back in line. I might be wrong there, but... I've just got the feeling that's what will happen. Well, money will talk, that's for sure. And if collectively, via the internet, everybody says don't watch any uh, anything on TV, but they won't do that, sadly. I'm looking at two things. One is the fact that we know that UEFA, with Sepp Blatter and uh, Michel Platini, um, were found with their hands in the pockets. So they've no room to talk. It doesn't really make uh, any sense for them to be criticising anybody. Um, but then the other thing I'm going to mention is that I'm looking at a Agenda 21, which I, I keep talking about, the socialist plan to use coronavirus pandemic for global control. Now, part of global control is controlling football because football controls a lot of people to be watching football on tv and talking about football and doing football related things so my question which goes back to what i did say about 20 minutes ago is my worry and my question is this part of the bigger global picture because these are all stinking rich people Money is man-made. Money is something that they can change at the flick of a switch. They can change the value so that everybody who has money suddenly becomes less um, rich because basically it's devalued, etc. So don't let anybody con convince anybody else that this is nothing uh, only just football related. I think it's part of the bigger picture, Eric. Um, OK, Mourinho apparently was um, dismissed because he spoke against it. Klopp spoke against it. That will be very interesting to see what happens. Um, because if they ha have been, or, you know, Mourinho for sure was under fire anyway, he might have just seen a good opportunity to um, maybe make a brownie point here or there. The Eurohost City's decision apparently is being delayed to see what happens here. But alongside all of this, I read Pogba wants £500,000 a week. Now, this is where it gets silly. <laughs> because on the one hand, you've got these obviously very, um, very rich and obviously in the top echelon. And then you've got these other people who are just absolutely foul, greedy uh, people and I go back to my phone call I got from Mary on television, uh, sorry, on the radio, asking me why we always talk about football. I think we can probably see the answer coming up right before our very eyes at the moment. Okay, well, um, they're talking about Boris Johnson and the politicians getting involved. What's your take on that one? Well, I mean, politicians, I mean, they'll jump on any bandwagon that comes along that uh, puts them in the limelight kind of thing. Uh, it's, that, so that's pretty straightforward, that one. Boris Johnson getting involved because of the fact that it, this is a, a people's thing, isn't it? And he's got to make sure he's on the people's side to, so that they're going to hopefully vote for him in the long term. I, so politicians, uh, I take them with a pinch of salt where it comes to sport. They, they, as I've just said before, they've exploited sport for their own needs. And I've just got the feeling that uh, Boris Johnson's doing that. And plus a few other MPs who are involved in the saying, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. Where were these MPs and the people who have... When, when playing fields were being knocked across for motorways to go through and stopping kids from going playing football and there were less grounds where we could play football... You know, where were these politicians then? I mean, I can go back to uh, being able to go on a playing field where there's about, you could say, 20 pitches, and you, you'd see 40 teams playing on them 20 pitches, all like amateurs. And that's how football starts, you know, with people at the, the bottom of the ladder, you know. And these politicians now, that's where they should have been, stopping things like that happening. I, I were part of that in the early days whereby... 
I was involved in running smaller clubs and smaller leagues and things like that, which which was important to people who worked all week and looked forward to the game of football on a Saturday. And the same with the lads who used to play cricket, by the way. That was the same thing where there were cricket clubs that was going, rugby clubs. They were all run by people who cared for that particular sport and that particular club. But now, because of what football's happened, whereby it's become, as you say, mega business now, money-wise, it's just ridiculous. But MPs, or, well, I should say, politicians, I just want to know where they all was when they were getting rid of all the playing fields and putting putting motorways through and things like that. Because they never replaced the playing fields. You know, they just cut it down. You could only have maybe, instead of 20 pitches, you finished up with just four pitches, which meant that, like, eight teams could play that weekend you know after saying eight 40 teams would have been there nobody come along then and, and started to help us out and uh, so politicians i can't have out to do with them i'll be quite honest with you very um, going back to your money so, so, hmm? Uh, very interesting because basically um, when I decided to go and study, I was 36 and I know I do mention this now and again, but the, the, point, the point I'm making is that um, I went to uh, study um, and the, the, the first degree I did was called Recreation and the Community. And it was really at a time when we needed to understand that everybody wasn't going to have a job and we needed to make sure people have things that, uh, you know, would uh, would occupy everybody. And, of course, um, this uh, is sort of looking now in terms of this control thing, because this was in the 1990s. The United Nations drafted Agenda 21. So... This was their plan to defeat climate change. And then it was rebranded by the socialists into Agenda 30. But neither had anything to do with global warming and everything to do with using it to reshape the political world. I'm reading, you might probably have understood that, um, but I don't want you to feel that, you know, I'm pontificating. I'm just reading uh, from this. Um, basically, uh, this particular thing, uh, the um, it, it's about the future. It was all about future global pandemics. So they knew what was coming, and some of the world's powerful business and political leaders met to discuss how to prepare for this crisis. And now, of course, uh, this crisis with the coronavirus reaching every corner of the world, it's becoming clearer uh, that socialists are going to use this pandemic to achieve their, their ultimate goal, global control. Now, if I'm talking rubbish, Eric, then please excuse the fact that I am involved in things like this. But all that I do know is I am not a wicked person. I don't want to influence anybody. I don't want to um, try and take control of anybody's mind. But similarly, I don't want anybody taking control of my mind and my family and my friends and making their life a, a, a living hell, which it's now becoming. And, you know, people will think that football isn't as important. Sorry, it is important. And we've had it without fans for so long that really, I better move on because we've got other things to discuss. Uh, but that is worth going to see mm -hmm. whether there's anything in that. Um, now, uh, so we don't think that um, maybe the politicians should get too involved, but we're pretty, pretty both sure that they will. Um, what about fans coming in to the FA Cup semi-finals? Uh, because I know there weren't huge amounts of fans, but I think your argument has been that there's no reason why you couldn't have a stadium half full. Would I be right in, in saying that's basically what you were thinking? Yeah, definitely. And uh, as I've said before, I mean, we're going back to politicians again, using football as a political football, as a political football really. The point is, on, Sunday, on Saturday we played in uh, Chelsea with no crowd. Then on Sunday, Southampton played Leicester with a bit of a crowd. Now, we're on about now the FA Cup final. Yeah, the FA Cup final. Uh, and this weekend's Carabao Cup, where more people will be allowed in. And it was kind of a test piece last weekend. Well, you don't have to be a test piece 
to work out the fact that if I ground all 60,000 people and you're only allowing, we'll say 8,000, I think it was, in, you know, you, you're not going to get, you know, you don't need to test that. It's obvious that you can have more than 8,000 people in a 60,000 stadium. Actually, it's 80,000 a stadium, Wembley. But, so you know what I mean? So all this test casing thing, I mean, the idea is you've got to test them before they come in and before they come out. And on a smaller scale, with the snooker down at the moment in Sheffield, the fact that UK finals, you know, uh, they, they, they've let a little bit of a crowd in there now. And you're trying to bring it back slowly but surely in their way to placate people, to be thinking of the politicians again, of allowing us, thinking you're doing us a favour, allowing us to go in. But as you, as you know, and I said many years, well, two years ago it would be now, wouldn't it? when he allowed those people to travel from Madrid to Liverpool, 3,000 in a place that was already well known for carrying the, the virus, and he allowed 3,000 people to go to Liverpool for that game against Atletico Madrid. And he allowed all those people to go to Cheltenham Racecourse, coming from Ireland and all over the world to watch the racing. You know, where was the politicians then? Now, all of a sudden, you're trying to keep a grip of it and then letting it come back so as if they're doing us a favour. They're not doing us a favour at all. They're just exploiting the situation. No, no, hang on, hang, Eric. Good, Eric, which I mentioned just before. Eric, I don't think they're doing us a favour. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're exploiting us. I think they are manipulating us. What I think they're doing is they're saying, well, OK, they've met and decided their plan of action. You know, uh, we're talking about this as if there's a group of people and we probably are not far short of it because we've seen this now in football. You've got a picture in, in the papers today showing you these people. So they've known somebody knew they met in 2017. OK, we know that these people meet and we know that this agenda uh, 20, uh, 21 and uh, these have actually happened. So we don't know the faces necessarily, but we do know that there are plans and we do know that people are being exploited. So my guess is that they'll be meeting and saying, well, OK, let's um, let the people um, that we know they've given the Wuhan thing a start so then now now they're going to see how far they've got to go to control it now they get the people um, from Madrid to go across to Liverpool and see how much they can control it after that because eventually they've got to be careful it doesn't pollute them haven't they that's what they've got to be careful about it's all very well having the rest of the world also um, feeling the, 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 the problems but you've got to make sure you don't um, make a mess of your own doorstep. So my guess is they're letting a, pe- a couple of people in, see if that's OK. OK, well, OK, well, yeah, OK, we'll go, let it go a bit bigger. And then they'll come to a point where they say, no, we can't, we've got to go back. And then they'll stop people going out and they'll stop people going to, um, to, to places, etc., etc. In the meantime, it's almost as if normal death rates don't exist anymore. Yeah, it's, it's always the fact that uh, I mean, not many people have died of flu this year, have they? The, 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 <laughs> not, not, we've not read about it, that's for sure. And I'm reading again from... You know, I'm, so, re- uh, yeah. I'm reading again. It started with one party controlling the media, one party controlling the message, one party deciding what is truth, one party censoring speech and silencing opposition, one party dividing citizens into us and them and calling on their supporters to harass them. It started when good people started turning a blind eye and let it happen. And that now is, I think, where we're at. If people don't see the light and get this one actually stopped in its tracks, football's going to go. We're never going to get crowds properly back into the game and life will not return as we know it, Jim. That's what I think. OK, uh, Eric. Um, well, I think that... Well, go on. Let's go to what happened in the Cup semi-finals. So, first of all, um, I was a little saddened for the fact that, um, you know, it would have been nice to have Man City get in the four. Other people would have seen it very differently. Um, but it's never happened before, so that would have been OK. Um, were Chelsea a much better team on the day? 
Oh, without doubt. I mean, not no argument. I wish I could argue and say I could blame the referee. He happens to be one of my pet hates. Uh, you know, not believe who it was. It was Mike Dean. But anyway, uh, the point was, he's one of you a lot from the world. But uh, what I'm trying to say is that there was no way that we deserved to win that game. Uh, Chelsea were stronger. They were quicker. And I don't like to say it because it's easy to knock Guardiola for the team he picked. But for some reason, I'm one of those kind of supporters who I believe when a player's hot, you've got to play him. Because there are times when they're not so hot and they, you play them. You know, and the perfect example last week was uh, Phil Foden, who played a blinder during the week in the Champions League game against Borussia Dortmund. And then he left him out against Chelsea. Now, I can't understand why that happens. And early on in the season, the same thing got managed, got hat-trick against the team. And then the following game, he was left out. Now, I've always believed, which is what I just said, when you're hot, you're hot, and you've got to use it as much as you can because over a period of time, the times when you're not so hot, and therefore you don't pick them, that's the time to rest them when they're not playing too good. But unfortunately, I can't knock Guardiola because what he's done for Manchester City and the trophies we've, we've picked up while he's been there is unbelievable. So it's hard to criticise him, but I still think you could have picked a better team on the day. But as I said, having said that, Chelsea were the better team and deserved to go through to the final. Okay. And while people were talking about the quadruple, they were just trying to put pressure on City by saying they're going to win the quadruple. That was the biggest load of nonsense ever. You only need one thing to go wrong in one game, like, like last Saturday or the, this Saturday coming up in the Carabao Cup. Referee sends somebody off and or books somebody, then another booking and they're off. The goalkeeper makes a mistake. You know, there's so much, you know, which can go on. So never, ever in my mind with the quadruple going to go. I mean, we got a treble the other year, which took some doing. So a quadruple is virtually impossible. Okay, in my opinion. My point is, for me, I wouldn't have begrudged um, Manchester City winning a quadruple had it come about. Um, because, basically, I like good football. They play good football. I like your manager. I like a lot of your players. Um, so let's go to the other semi-final. And were Leicester lucky or were Southampton outplayed? Well, I don't think Southampton were outplayed, particularly in the second half. They played really well in the second half, Southampton. But I thought both semi-finals were a little bit disappointing. We didn't get the the games that I thought we would have got, you know, open play. Uh, Southampton in particular came out in the second half and played really well. Leicester, a funny side, Leicester. I mean, he'd left the players out who would cause a problem, by the way, the week before he... He had him on the bench and obviously Madison came on and so did one of the other players come on. But at the end of the day, they just about deserved to win because in actual, like I've just talked about, people who are hot, they're hot. And in actual, at the moment, it's flying. You know, and he got the winning goal. I mean, in the past, everybody's been worrying about Vardy. Although I thought Vardy made a big get, helped to score that goal with a good run down the left-hand side before he pulled it back. But uh, in actual... He's hot and they didn't leave him out, did they? You know what I mean? You don't leave your top players out when they're hot. No. And that's what you've got to do. And I think Chelsea, uh, not Chelsea, Leicester benefit from that. Whereas up front, Southampton were a little bit weak, even though Danny Ings did play, but I can't really remember him having any chances. You know, for a, a top goal scorer like Danny Ings, usually expect him to get one chance and maybe put it away. But I can't remember Danny Ings having any chances. Okay. So, uh, fair play. It was the best. On, the, on the day, the two teams of the two semi-finals both got through and deservedly got through, in my opinion. OK, we've got uh, 15 minutes to go and we start looking at the games in the Premier League last week and we'll start with Everton against Spurs. Um, I saw this game and I have to say, I thought that, um, you, you know, Everton... I don't know. It's like a box of licorice, all sorts. I mean, you don't know what you're getting at the moment. Um, Spurs mm. was really, for Spurs, read Harry Kane. I mean, it was Harry Kane's show, wasn't it? Two good goals, yeah. Unfortunately, he got injured, and it's going to be a big worry for Tottenham now if he has got a bad injury. Uh, so it'll be 
something we've uh, got to keep an eye on that for, for certainly for this well i think they play tomorrow night if i'm not mistaken tottenham play uh, tomorrow night at home to some um, i know they're at home anyway they're playing oh southampton funnily enough uh, so that that game is going to be interesting i can't see harry kane being fit for that Will, yeah. Whether it be fit for the final on Saturday is another thing, you know, so we'll have to wait and see. OK. Well, well, we the move. game itself, Everton and Tottenham, a draw was a fair result. I thought it was a fair result at the end of the day. OK, we go to uh, the Saturday games now. And um, I've got to say, incidentally, Everton, uh, I thought Spurs would win. You thought Everton would win. So we both got that one wrong. Um, Newcastle and West Ham. <laughs> I thought it would be high score and I thought it'd be a 2-2. You thought it'd be a 2-1. Newcastle did win 3-2, so you got that one right. And I've got to say, um, you know, we've got Newcastle coming up this week. Um, not looking forward to it because, quite frankly, they uh, they want to make sure that they stay up and they're playing like they want to do that. West Ham, you would expect them to win. Um, Jesse Lingard did get a goal, but uh, good win for Newcastle there. I'll tell you what, I watched this game. It was a cracking game as well. I mean, fair play. I thought that it was all over when Newcastle were winning 2-0 and they had a player sent off West Ham and they pulled it back to 2-1. I thought, oh, fair play to them. They probably, the way they worked to get a draw there would have done well. But just as they made it 2-1, Newcastle went down to the other end and got another goal. He just brought Willock on as a sub and he scored it, believe it or not, which he happened to do a few weeks ago. I think that was, a, I can't remember what team it was against, but Willock, he was on loan from Arsenal, got the winning goal. And as a match to watch, it was a cracking game, I must admit. And uh, wherever West Ham are these days, they seem to be producing good games and high scoring games, which is, is good for football, as we both know. 3 2, 3 3, these are the games that have been playing recently, West Ham. And I'd got the feeling that it'd be nice to see him get in the top four, but I've just got a funny feeling maybe. Liverpool might just sneak into that top four in a few weeks. Well, we'll talk about last night's game a bit later, I presume. Yeah. Um, OK, well, we'll go to Wolves next. Um, mm. Routine sort of dispatching of Sheffield. Poor old Sheffield. I, I really do feel sorry for them. Um, they have become the whipping boys, really. We both knew that Wolves would win, but it was only a one-goal win. So, 1-0, uh, what did you think? Well, in most of the games Sheffield United have lost this year have been by one goal, by the way. Yeah. Whereas last season, they were winning games by one goal because they had a strong defence and they could snatch a goal because they got a good defence up front, uh, at the back, I should say. So now it's, it's in, in reverse now, whereby they couldn't score, you know, they couldn't burst way out of a paper bag, half of them. So it was a foregone conclusion. Traore made the goal and... It, He's coming back to form now. The season's coming towards the send back Traore. I don't think he's had a particularly good season, but as you know and I know that he has been a good player, and like you say, he's built more like a rugby player than a footballer. He is. I've got to pick up a little bit of speed now with 12 minutes to go. The rest of the review Arsenal, right, right. Um, they struggled a bit against Fulham, but again, Fulham, I did think that um, you, you know the Arsenal would win. You thought it would be a draw, so you got that one right as well. Yeah, it's a shame for Fulham, really, because they got the, the noses in front and were winning one none, and they scored in injury time, I think, Arsenal. So it was just a bit unlucky, Fulham, but one apiece. I, I didn't even think it was a fair result. I thought Fulham deserved to win. But anyway, one all can't complain, can't they? No. OK, Manchester United, uh, I thought they'd beat Burnley. So did you. They dis dispatched them 3-1. They are looking a good team again, Manchester United. You got to, you, you know, you got to give them that, haven't you? Well, I don't like to give them any credit, being biased, but yeah, I mean, a three-one flattered United, I thought, because Burnley worked very hard, and he uh, was a bit unlucky to get beat three-one. Because... Okay, so uh, next we've got um, Leeds United. Uh, they beat you last week, and uh, they were very unlucky not to uh, at least. Uh, well, they drew, but they could have won last night. I think that in the second half, they showed far more hunger than Liverpool. What did you think? Yeah, well, I, I suppose at the end of the day, a draw was probably a fair result. Although there was a little bit unlucky, Leeds. They bamfed it across the crossbar with a cracking effort. And uh, 
I thought Liverpool were going to win easy in the first half, the way Liverpool played. But fair play to Leeds, as we all know, they're well known for being so fit and so strong. And in the second half, they were a fitter and stronger team and so deserved a draw, which I was a bit surprised at. I thought Liverpool were going to walk it in the first half. But I thought uh, fair, fair result, I thought. I thought the Liverpool team seemed to be second half as if they really did, didn't feel they want to be there. And then I read uh, that the there was the shirts, T-shirts outside the ground, um, and basically Klopp then had to say, hang on, you know, it's not the football managers and the football players that you should be having to go at. It's the owners of the, uh, of the clubs who are doing this, you know. So mm -hmm. I feel that maybe a little bit of that came in. We'll go to the um, the upcoming games. We've got ten minutes and we've got ten games. Villa play Man City. Right. Look. How do you think that one will go? Villa, Man yeah. City. Well, we've got to win now because of losing that uh, semi-final. We've got to go for a result at Villa. In the past, we've always done well at Villa Park. So I've got to go for a 2-0 Man City win. OK, and I'm saying that uh, Man City should win 2-1. Uh, Leicester play West, West Brom. Well, West Brom have come on to a good vein of form now, haven't they? They're playing quite well. And I wouldn't be surprised to finish, see this finish up a, a one-all draw. OK, interesting. I actually think West Brom could win that one. Um, they, they are... A, a, <laughs> they've played some good football of late. Arsenal take on Everton. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Everton have got to win this one. Um, what do you think? Well, the two teams both down slips out of being starting off well at one stage and now they both drop down. I think it'll be a draw. I'd, I'd go for a one-all draw. OK. I think that's Friday night game, actually. Um, mm -hmm. OK, i um, not too sure. I've got it down as a Saturday, but don't worry, be, because I don't know for sure. Uh, Liverpool play Newcastle. Well, you know what they do. So I think well, Newcastle are playing well, aren't they? You know. Yeah, I put I put it down for a two-all draw for this one. Uh, and I fancy Liverpool to win about three-nil actually, because uh, I think Newcastle might just rest on the laurels a bit with that win last week. It's just taken them out of the danger zone. So I just got a feeling Liverpool will be more important for Liverpool to win that game than Newcastle to try and get in the top four. OK, West Ham are at home to Chelsea. Now, this is actually a hot fixture because both of them playing for a top mm. four spot. So what do you reckon? Who do you think you'll win that one? Well, it's a, it, this is a good game to look forward to at the weekend, I must admit. Uh, trouble is, West Ham have got two of the top players missing at the moment, which is to, to Chelsea's advantage. Um, Rice in midfield and uh, Antonio up front. They're uh, not playing at the moment, they're both injured. So I'm going to go for a Chelsea narrow win, 1-0 win. OK, I've gone for Chelsea to win 2-1. So we're on the same page. Uh, we go to Sheffield. Yeah. Now, they're only playing for pride now. They must be absolutely fed up to the back teeth. Um, but they've got Brighton as the visitors. Brighton play nice football. But I think Sheffield, they'll be a little bit difficult to score many... I think it'll be 1-0 to Brighton. Yeah, well, Sheffield United have gone through the trap door now. Bye-bye. And I've just got the feeling, I agree with you, Brighton played good football and I fancy Brighton to win about 2-0. I can't see Sheffield United breaching their defence. They've not got a bad defence, really, but they're a bit weak up front, Brighton. OK, then we go to Wolves. They host Burnley. I think this will be a bit of a battle. Um, I just see a one-goal one goal score draw. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. I think it will be a draw myself. Uh, Burnley played well at Old Trafford, and as I said, I thought they were a bit unlucky to lose 3-1. And I've just got a feeling it will be a draw. In fact, I'll even agree with you and go for a one-all. OK. Uh, three to go, we got Leeds play Manchester United. Now, this will be a tasty little fixture. Um, I think they'll make it very difficult, but I think this will be a draw. I think it'll be a 1-1. Well, if you remember early on in the season, United battered Le uh, Leeds. I think it was somewhere like 5-2 or 6-2. They just absolutely blasted them out of the ground because Leeds' defence was shocking that day. Uh, 
I don't know. I've been watching Leeds last night against Liverpool. Uh, I've got the feeling that they could. I mean, United away from home are very hard to beat. So I'm going to go for a United win. I hope they don't, but I've just got a feeling at the moment things are going well for United and that they'll sneak a, a win there. OK, and a big derby coming up. Villa against West Brom. That's again going to be a big, big game. I think that could be 2-2. Yeah, well, I, I've got a funny feeling. I, I always have this every time this time of the year comes around. If a team is safe in the league and not fighting relegation and they're kind of local rivals, I know most of the supporters of Villa won't agree with me, but I've just got a funny feeling Villa won't mind keeping West Brom in the league if they can. And uh, I've just got a feeling West Brom will win this one. I give them a draw at Leicester, but I've just got a feeling West Brom will beat Villa. Uh, they're kind of safe and they can't drop into relegation battle below. So I've just got the feeling West Brom will win it 2-1. OK, and the last game is uh, Crystal Palace visiting Leicester. Uh, Leicester obviously will be a little bit one eye on trophies and um, top four. So I can't really see them being too disturbed by Palace. I'm going to say 2-0 um, to Leicester. Yeah, well, Palace is. I, I watch Palace sometimes and I can't believe what I see. And I, I can't see anything other than the rest of the way. OK. <laughs> Excuse me. A big score or just an odd goal? 2 oh, 0, by the way. Okay. Same as you. Same as me. OK. 2 0, well, same as yourself. Uh, just to finish off this morning, um, I do apologise for saying this um, because. Uh, you know, you and I, we've had different um, points of view regarding what football was becoming and what football was doing. And, uh, you know, I always did keep going on about the money that was involved, especially for the, the players' wages. And very sensibly, you used to always answer me by telling me that it was the, the clubs that were paying the money that really was the problem. And I think that the first half of our podcast this morning has shown us that we are both convinced that money is spoiling the game, possibly with different little spins on where that blame lies. Um, and I just think the problem for me is I think it's now slipped into the bigger picture. I can see this very, very powerful group getting hold of these very powerful football guys and saying, do you want to be part of our gang? Um, doing the Gary Glitter on them and basically making them all sort of part of the bigger picture. I think that's what's going on. Um, I suspected uh, uh, this a long time ago and I haven't changed my mind and I still think that communism is behind most of it. But I don't necessarily think the communists are pulling the major strings. I think that certainly there are some big, big players in this that I really don't like to think, um, you, you know, we know who they are because I'm not too sure myself. You know, I, I just don't know who they are. But there are people pulling massively. Yeah, well, it's more, let's be fair, Vince, I think out of those six clubs, four of them are owned by Americans. So to say communism, I'm not quite sure on that one. There's only one Russian, you could say, which is Chelsea, whereby communism could be part of it. But even he is a, well, he's certainly, I don't think he's a communist anyway. Uh, you know, Abramovich. So I, I just got the feeling the Americans are the ones who's pulling the strings for the football. Uh, the rest things about the world one, that's a different ball game where China get involved and mm. Japan and all the other big countries that you know, Russia there involved in that the world I think it's... I don't think the football one. I think it's more the Americans trying to change our game to be um, get it Americanized in the way they do. The next thing they'll be doing to bring the money back is do what they do in America, whereby each club bids for a player every year. You know, I wouldn't be surprised to see that one coming up in a bit. I hadn't heard of that, by the way. So that's um, that's something that I'll yeah, I'll that's think how they about. do. You know, yeah. when they, you, yeah, in American football, each year you can buy a player, or you can have a player to play for you, and like the lowest club gets the first choice of the player, and that's how they work it over in American football. 
But it won't come in just yet because, first of all, the Americans have got to get this breakaway league going and then things like that will come into play, I reckon. But okay. I honestly believe that this situation won't happen. I've just got the feeling that uh, we're trying to bluff the UEFA into making the Champions League, keeping it as it is rather than changing it. OK, well, they're not making many friends while they're doing that. Eric, uh, we're wrapping this up. Uh, we, oh, no, no. as ever, have got right. it right on the hour. Stay safe. And thanks very much indeed for your input. Well, That's great. OK. Thanks, Eric.